moms and dads and all the rest of you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 12 this morning. I invite you to turn there while they're <clears throat> getting lined up and out the door there. Uh, feels like winter-ish outside, yes, everybody? Yes, yeah, anybody? Okay, yeah. We'll be glad in August that there's, you know, four less mosquitoes because of today, so that'll be good. First Sunday back from into our kind of normal uh, routine and wanted to concentrate, if you will, on, on uh, uh, these two verses in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> it's uh, Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. If you've been around church, it, it might be familiar sledding to you, but uh, if you haven't, these are great verses to concentrate on. And uh, honestly, at this point, I, I'll just let you know, I'm only going to preach half the sermon um, that I prepared. And all God's people said, yeah, that's right. And you're like... Good, because the playoffs are on. Uh, we are, uh, really, I, I prepped more than I could say in the amount of time. So I, I want to, uh, we'll pick back up with this theme um, next week. But wanted to uh, spend a few moments together concentrating uh, on this whole idea of transformation and, and uh, setting before us this singular thought that transformation is the heartbeat of what God is doing in the earth. The whole project of Christianity, the whole idea is that Jesus is in the business of, of not making um, uh, bad people good, but in making dead people live. That, that's, that's the whole thing. That's transformation right there. And it is such a powerful work and such a profound work um, that the Bible, it talks about it in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of places. We see pictures of it. I'll just give you one picture of it. Um, uh, you know, just, just from our uh, everyday life. <clears throat> if, and wh why this is so important, um, if you go to the doctor, anybody gone to the doctor recently, like since your uh, deductible reset? I'm very sorry for you if you have already. Uh, but, you know, one of the first things you walk in and they put you on the scale, they're like, oh, man, my shoes are really heavy, aren't they? Do you want me to take them off or anything? That's what I say. Uh, so you go to the scale and you get your height and whatever, and you go in, you sit down, and whether it's the nurse or uh, somebody else who walks in, and inevitably at some point they do the thing where they stick the stethoscope in their ears and they grab the other end and they put it right here. Why? What are they looking for? A heartbeat. Because if you're coming in and saying, hey, my nose is running and it hasn't stopped, but they can't find a heartbeat, guess what? It doesn't much matter that your nose might be running, right? I mean, they're not going to move on from that because it's so central. And that's the thing I want to just lock on to for a second. I don't want us as a church to move on, if you will, from what is most central. From what is uh, 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 most important, if you will, for us. I don't want to move on to the other things uh, until we're really, really clear just on, on this. And so we'll spend... Uh, this this morning and the next, next Sunday on this, that, that transformation is the heartbeat of not only what God is doing in the world, but of our church, and, and not only of our church, but what we individually ought to be about, seeing our lives transformed and then being a part of seeing other people transformed as well. So um, it, it's just a, it's a sign of life. That's the thing. It's a sign of life. So in, in Romans chapter 12, Look at these two verses. First two verses of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed um, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's, let's pray together for just a moment. Uh, Father, for these words that are going to hopefully climb off of these pages and get all over us, uh, we're praying that that would happen this morning. God, we're praying too that you would um, uh, speak to us. You would be um, a, a shaping, the shaping force in our life this morning. And Father, that, uh, in, in, as you speak and as you give us these things, uh, that our hearts would be responsive to that, to say yes, 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 yes to you. Uh, we do pray over the teenagers who are going to encounter you this weekend. Well, we do want them to have a powerful experience, but more than that, God, we do want to see them transformed. Would you change them? Would you change families? Would you change classrooms and entire schools because of what you're going to do here? May there be um, reverberations in the spiritual realm because of the things that you do. And God, may our places, wherever they may be, may they be different because of what you are going to do this weekend. So speak to them and give them responsive hearts as well. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We don't want to take that for granted. Please speak for Jesus' sake. Amen. So when we uh, <clears throat> lock on to this whole idea of transformation, uh, Paul here in the letter to the Romans describes it in a couple of ways here. Uh, but, but look at the end sort of in the middle towards the end of verse 2. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. We'll just start at the beginning of verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I want to take a minute and try to paint for you a picture of what um, transformation looks like. Because some people think it's making, uh, as I said, making bad people good people. That's not the project of Jesus. It's not. Some people think it's about taking a bad institution or a system and making it a better system or institution. Now, that's not the project of Jesus. Jesus is in the business of changing radically so, changing people's lives from the inside out. Out, starting at the very core of who they are, ripping all of that stuff out that doesn't need to be there, building in all sorts of great stuff that does need to be there, stuff that is good and acceptable and perfect as it is described here. And then from there, from that point of renovation, changing the world around him. That, that's the project of Jesus. That's what he's about. So um, he, he describes it here in, in this way, that we would be able to, uh, by testing, that you may discern what is the will of God. So transformation, uh, part of what it would look like is that we would discern the will of God. We would be able to know what the will of God is. Anybody facing decisions? You got some stuff going on in your life? Like maybe you got to take it road A or road B or whatever. That there would be a point where we would become the kind of people who know what God wants. Why? Because we're like God. We're going to spend an entire uh, series on this uh, right after Easter about decision making in God's will. But here's the heartbeat behind that series to come. And the point this morning is, what if we were a kind of people? Who knew what God wanted? Because we were like Him. We had been transformed by Him. We had been changed by Him to like the things that He likes and love what He loves and, and uh, uh, think like He thinks and feel like He feels and do what He does. What if we were those kind of people? To discern the will of God. There are people who, who, who miss this and mainly it's due to distractions. Um, we don't have any distractions in our day and age, I know. But in, Nobody? There have been times that uh, 
technology, among other things, has proved a spiritual hindrance rather than a spiritual help. And distraction is kind of the key, uh, the key thing that the enemy uses uh, to keep us from discerning the will of God. Those who are distracted just simply don't know what it is. And there's two kinds of distraction. One is the worldly distraction. A worldly distraction comes from uh, just simply not caring what the will of God is or not knowing what it is or not seeking the will of God because you're uh, you know, distracted by this or, or your eyes are turned here instead and you just, you just don't have any appetite for understanding what it is. But there's another kind of distraction as well. Worldly distraction misses it because they don't care to know what it is. Uh, religious distraction misses it because they think they know what it is. They just have it wrong. The, the embodiment of that would be the Pharisee, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who were so concentrated on what they understood. Boy, they knew, they knew, they just knew in their knowers what the will of God was for them. They just knew. And so they were going to obey that and just do it and do it and do it and do it. The problem was they didn't know. They did not know. They were, they were distracted by all the external focus of their religious life, and they were missing altogether that Jesus is in the business of changing people from the inside out, not just changing their outside appearance. So Jesus himself comes along in Matthew chapter 5, and he says to the people who are gathered there listening to him preach, he says, listen, unless, you, unless your righteousness vastly exceeds or surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't even sniff the kingdom of God. And the people who are listening are like, oh, I mean, these are the religious leaders of the day. We don't know anybody more holy than them. We don't know anybody more righteous than them. We don't know anybody who's more committed to doing the will of God than them. We don't know anybody who's a better person than them, like who's more in conformity to the law than them. We don't know anybody who practices religion better than them. And Jesus goes, you got it. You got it. Because the external conformity to that stuff is not what he's after at all. He's after building us out from the inside, starting at the very core of who we are, and changing us radically so that uh, our lives just look different. If you're um, distracted, it could be a religious distraction, it could be a worldly distraction. Either way, you will not discern what the will of God is, but yet Jesus is in the business of doing exactly that, transforming us so that we know by testing what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But it doesn't just stop there because some people, when they hear discern the will of God, sorry, I got something in my eye here, um, they, when they hear discern the will of God, they think, okay, good. So now I'm coming up to it, and there's a fork in the road, road A, road B, and I can see, okay, road A must be the will of God. I, I see that, but I'm kind of tempted to go down road B. As if that were even an option once you know. So it's not, the, the way that, that, that Paul lays this out here is not, the word that he uses is not simply to understand what it is, but then to actually do it. You don't just discern, but you actually do it. And that's the, the second part of this. this. To discern the will of God is one thing, but then to do the will of God, that's also what transformation looks like. It's not a matter of only discerning, it's also a matter of doing. I ran across this in a comment, uh, commentary this week when I was studying, and it was so good, I just wanted to put it up here so that we could all see it. The Greek word that he's going to reference is dokamidzo, it's, it's the word that gets translated uh, so that by testing you may discern. That, that phrase right there, here's what he said, dokamidzo, that this testing and discerning the will of God means to understand and agree with what God wants of us with a view of putting it into practice. It's not just understanding what he wants. It's not just saying, yeah, I agree with that. That would be a good thing right there. But 
I'm going to intend to do this. I see that it's road A, road B, and uh, road A it doesn't look easy, but it, I know that's what God wants. I'm going to intend to walk that, that road. May I fall? Yeah. May I stumble? Yes. May it be difficult? Yes. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Why? Because it's good and acceptable and perfect. Those who, are, uh, those who don't do the will of God, who discern it but don't do it, these are deceived people who do not follow what the will of God is and typically expresses itself in one of two ways. One is the coward, and I don't mean that in some like kind of way. I just, the coward who looks at it and says, I don't think I've got it in me to walk that road. I don't think I've got it in me to walk that road. The, the discernment part of that, and the deception, excuse me, not the discernment, but the deception part of that is, I see that it's good, acceptable, and perfect, but I think it's going to cost me more to follow God than it is to not. Trust me on this. It always costs us more to not do what he says than to do what he says. So the, the, the courage to follow him is the best path always. Why? Because it's good and acceptable and perfect. Some of you are at points in your life right now, you've got kind of decision points, whatever, uh, things that you're trying to understand, things you're trying to figure out what to do, or, or in some way you, you've got to take some step, right? And the, the question is not of do I understand what I'm supposed to do? The question is do I have the courage to do it? And the answer I'm telling you needs to be yes because not only is it good and acceptable and perfect, but it's also the better road for you. Oh, well, I just don't know if I've got what it takes. It will cost you less to follow God than it will ever cost you to not follow God. The price is high, but that price is way higher. Cowards are deceived, but also those who are blind are deceived. In other words, they don't see that it is always right to do what is right, to do what is good and acceptable and perfect. They don't see the beauty in it. They don't see the beauty in it. What if we were the kind of people who Jesus so renovated from the inside out that we could not only discern what the will of God is, but we were committed to do it. Whenever we saw it, we were saying, yeah, we're, we're going to do that. that that's, that's what he wants of us. That's what he wants of us. Now, if you've been around this church in particular, um, you've heard us talk about this before. I want to say this, and I want to say it just as clearly as I can. Um, God doesn't want you to obey. He wants to transform you into the kind of person who joyfully and routinely obeys. You hear the difference? Because there are all sorts of people who can conform externally to some religion or to some standard, but they, they internally, they, they're, they're still very much apart from God. They're like the older son in the prodigal son story who is around their father but never actually engaged relationally with their father. External conformity, uh, boy, that just, it just matters very, very little if there's not an internal conformity also. So he doesn't want us to obey but to transform us so that we joyfully and routinely obey. Joyfully? Why joyfully? Well, number one, because it's good and acceptable and perfect. That's how he described. If you find something that's good and acceptable and perfect, don't you think that it would be joy? It's not that it's not hard all the time, or excuse me, that it's easy all the time and not hard sometimes. It's not that sometimes it's not a painful process to walk and follow after God. It's that we do it, even this hard stuff, we do it with this sense of joy. Not necessarily with a plastered smile on our face and a mask that 
hides everything, but with this sense of, God, I'm doing what is right, and that brings me some sense of joy deep down inside. Furthermore, um, that's kind of the the personal side. On the much larger kingdom side, let me ask you this. Uh, How many of you know people who they're doing the right thing, but they're doing it like this, like a mad face emoji, like that's how they walk around? Does that draw anybody in? Does anybody think to themselves, hey, here's a religious angry person who's trying to do the right thing. I think I want to grow up and be just like him. No. What's contagious, though, is when a person walks through life, good times, hard times, uh, uh, the, 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 the easy times and the tough times, walks through life with this sense of joy. Right, you know, it's it's not always easy, but man, this is the right thing, and I'm doing it, and this is good. I mean, it's actually good and acceptable and perfect. This is why I'm doing this. That actually draws people in. That invites people in. That says, hey, there's something radically different about you because you're going through this. You got this diagnosis, this problem, this pink slip, this whatever, and yet still, you've got this sense about you that everything's going to be all right. Why is that? Oh, because everything is going to be all right. How in the world would you say such a thing? Well, I know a guy. I know a guy. He he takes care of me. That sense of joy is what draws people in. And man, may it be true of us that we are a people who are so transformed that we joyfully obey him. Now, now, not just joyfully, though, routinely, like this is a part of our lives, that this is our normal response. We just obey. Well, God says to do this, and we're like, okay, that's what we're going to do. Well, doesn't that seem hard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, nobody's signing up to say that's an easy thing, but that's what we're doing. The fact that we had two people come forward and volunteer to listen, have middle schoolers in their home in the last service, I'm like, transformation must be happening. You know what I mean? Like, Collide Weekend is here, and we two host homes because people keep signing up like middle schoolers? Oh. Amen. Amen. That's what I'm saying, that our response would routinely say, you know what, uh, you know, the lives of those who come behind us matter more than my convenience right now. Maybe we be people who are so transformed that we joyfully and routinely obey Why? Because it's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It is renovation inside of us, uh, a work that he's doing uh, from the inside out. And when we are these kind of people, what happens is we're drawn to the will of God. Um, We're drawn to the will of God. And that's that's the kind of people we want to be. We we discern what it is, and then we do it uh, because he's transformed us. And I was trying to think about how this looks and uh, the, the picture of this. Um, and it goes something like this. Do you remember the old uh, like Hanna-Barbera cartoons or whatever? Some of you do, some of you don't. But there was always a thing where the scent floated out from somewhere and it caught the cartoon character's nose and, and then off they went. You know, they kind of got drawn in by that. Last night, this happened to me. Uh, I was upstairs at our house. I can't even remember what I was doing. Something crucial and important, I'm sure. And all of a sudden, my wife starts cooking downstairs. She's browning meat, uh, ground beef, and there's some garlic and there's some... I don't know, magic dust. I don't know what all she put in it. Uh, but, but she was cooking, and it was just like that. They, you know, that our house is kind of designed in space that everything's fairly open. So that smell just came rising up out of there, and it hit me about that time, and I'm like, what is that? Maybe you've had this before, where you, you, you've smelled baking bread, and you're like, 
Whoever is between me and that better move 45 seconds ago because I'm coming full freight, man. And you just like look out. I don't care that it's my kid. Get out of my way. You know what I mean? Like the other day I met somebody for lunch and uh, we met at some place and, you know, it was fine. Uh, next door to it was a place that grilled meat. And I get out of my car and I'm like, And then you just begin to weep over the fact that you're missing that because you got to go do this. You know, you're like, I ah, can't we like switch or something? Oh, I'm already sitting down. Okay. Because the aroma is just drawn. What if we were the kind of people who, by testing, could discern what the will of God is and were so um, taken in, if you will, by this that we just knew? We just knew not only what the will of God was, but then we would go do it because it's good and acceptable and perfect. And it just smells right. It just smells right. Uh, if that's us, um, there are going to be three things that we need to do this year. I mean, if that's going to be you, and you're going to experience transformation this year. There's going to be three things. I just want to touch on the first one. Like I said, I, I'm only preaching half the sermon I've prepped here, but let's just let's work through this one. In order to get there, in order to be people who are like this, what do we need to do? The, the first thing and the only thing I want to talk about this morning is that we would be soaked in the gospel. Uh, my wife was in the first service, so I didn't tell this story. She hates the cold. Like, eh. Last night, at some point, I don't even remember when it was, she said, I'm going to go take a bath. I'm like, it's kind of a weird time to take a bath. I know, I'm just going to warm up. So she like flips on the hot, gets down there, and I go in to check on her and make sure, you know, she's alive and stuff. And she's like buried to about right here. What are you doing, babe? I'm just getting warm, you know, that kind of thing. Soaking in it, right? That, that's, that's the kind of people we want to be. If we're going to be transformed by Jesus, the kind of people we want to be are people who, who get that deep in and regularly get that deep in the gospel, the good news. I want to show you this in the text. Look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. The word he uses there includes everybody. By the mercies of God. Don't miss that. Two things I want you to lock on to here. Uh, by the mercies of God, that's important. And the therefore, okay? So we should be soaked in the Gospels. Here's what I want you to remember. Number one, I want you to remember that God had mercy on you. God had mercy on you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. You, you didn't deserve it. In fact, he spends chapters 9, 10, and 11 in the book of Romans. That's why the therefore is there. Like he's, he's wanting to say, hey, everything that I've said up to this point uh, comes down to this, that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices, not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is what we want. But it's all going to flow from the mercies of God. Therefore, he spends 9, 10, and 11 saying to you and to me, hey, listen, you're recipients of mercy, and you didn't wake up with a big mercy sign over your head that said, you deserve mercy today. Can you think of anything more ironic and even idiotic than deserved mercy? Nobody deserves mercy. Chapter 9, he says, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. 
Nobody qualifies for it. You didn't get up and do the dance one day and think to yourself, oh, I think I'll just gather myself some mercy today. That's not how that worked. God had mercy on you, and you did nothing to deserve it. Uh, to drive the point home, an author that I uh, uh, fairly regularly read and interact with, um, he says this, that the word mercy, um, in, in passages like this and in others, the word mercy can lose a little bit. Because we think mercy, and we're like, oh, mercy, you know. Da, da, da. Mercy, it's, it's, it's the kind of religious equivalent of bless her heart, you know, like that kind of thing. This is not that. So he argues, what if you replace the word mercy Pity. Because pity, that carries some, that still carries some punch in our world. So I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the pity of God that He's had on your life. And you think about that. That's a different deal right there. Remember that God took pity upon you. He looked down on your world, He looked down on your brokenness, He looked down on your issues, He looked down on your problems, He looked down on your stuff, and what did He do? He said, not judgment, pity, mercy. He had mercy. Remember that God had mercy on you. Secondly, if we're going to be soaked in the gospel, first remember that God had mercy on you, but secondly, remember that Jesus died for you. The mercies of God were expressed in the death of Jesus. And so chapter 1 through chapter 8 in particular, God is, or Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is offloading how Jesus has brought salvation to you and to me. I'll just point you to one particular place. Um, uh, in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says this. He said uh, uh, that God demonstrates, He shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So before you could do anything to earn it, that's remembering that God had mercy on you. What happened? Christ died for you. He paid the debt that you and I could have never paid. We were so enslaved to our sin and so indebted uh, to God because of it. We never would have dug ourselves out of that hole. We never would have made it right. There was no way we were going to inf uh, pay the infinite cost uh, of making things right with God. So in steps Jesus. Enter Jesus who steps into our place and says, I'll take the blow that they rightly deserve. And he did. He died on the cross, bearing our sins as a substitute for our sins, paying our debt and purchasing favor for God. Remember that Jesus died for you. Don't ever, I mean, if you've been around church, the danger in that is, hey, shouldn't we move on? I mean, like, can we? No, no, we don't move on from that. We just go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Because that transforms us. The deeper we go into this incredible message that God has had mercy on us and that Jesus has died for us, the deeper we go into that, the more formational it is. Transformational it is in our life. And lastly, remember that somebody, somewhere at some point, somebody shared this news with you because you needed to hear it. Somebody shared this news with you because you needed to hear it. Can we back up a couple of chapters or chapter and a half, let's call it, to Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Um, uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and you think to yourself, I'm no preacher, you're right. 
you're a herald. That's what the word means. People think preacher and they think all of this. No microphones needed. A cup of coffee, some chips and salsa, a back porch, a mailbox, wherever it is. You're a herald. You just get to testify of what God has done for you. Because somebody somewhere brought that news to you. Guess what you get to do? You get to take that news to somebody else. Remember, when we're soaked in the gospel, we remember that God had mercy on us. We remember that Jesus died for us. And we remember that someone came to us and shared that news with us because we needed to hear it. And folks, in case you hadn't noticed, there's a world out there that's pretty crazy. What do they need? More than anything. More than anything. They need the gospel. How will they hear without preachers being sent out? Heralds. That's you. That's me. We need to be soaked in this. And here's the crazy thing. The more we share, the more it becomes real for us. The more it becomes real for us, the more we share. And the more we see lives transformed around us. He's in the business of transforming people's lives. We get to be a part of it. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. and uh, We'll let everybody get settled and invite the guys back up to lead us. But we would take some time. One of the things, why we're doing some of the things differently that we're doing this year. One of the things I just want to do, I just want to make sure that we all have space. Space to think space to respond in our world because it's like that, space is a, is a rare commodity. So just have a minute where you can reflect, pause. This may be the only quiet moment in your week. So let's pray together. And we'll give you just a moment to think and to pause and to reflect. And then we'll stand and sing and respond, okay?